If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I hope everyone's enjoying the beginning of the these beginning days of fall, I'm here in the Midwest, so the fall is always beautiful here. For those of you that don't know, I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events. We host cybersecurity events throughout North America. Obviously, during COVID, we've been doing everything virtual, which is getting very old and stale for many of our attendees and sponsors. So we um, started in August launching a few live hybrid events. We were in Dallas in August. We went to Columbus at the beginning of September. And just this week, we had a show in Kansas City seeing attendees and speakers and sponsors again in person is so amazing it's super stimulating we leave these events with almost like a euphoric high just because we're mingling with people again my team and uh, myself and all the attendees and sponsors have been uh, networking through computer screens for the last year and a half and as you all know much to my surprise and disappointment three-fourths of our attendees are still choosing the option to stay virtual and watch our live events at home so the question i pose for anyone out there is have we gotten too comfortable and will we ever get back to normal Obviously, we have many people who still want to stay at home because of the continued spread of COVID. I completely respect that decision, but I do believe there's another large group of people that find it easier not to have to get dressed up and go to an event, and it's easier to stay home, multitask, and watch events from home. Is this really going to be our new normal? I hope not. I've been running these kinds of events for 25 years, and the thought of people not wanting to get back together in the future is so hard to comprehend. So I'd love to hear from any of our FutureCon followers, any of my followers, any of our show followers, what is it going to take to get you back out to events again? We had an amazing day Wednesday in Kansas City. It was nice celebrating the cybersecurity professionals that came out. We had about 60 live attendees, and we had about 20 attendees from our sponsors attend live. And then we had probably 100 to 120 virtual viewers. Our small group was super intimate. I made amazing connections being we had a smaller setting. It was the first day of fall. So we took the event out to the outdoor patio, moved the bar out there, had our chief information security officers who were running the panel that day um, do do their talk out there. It was such a great day. Again, I'll continue to move forward with live events and encourage and try to incentivize people to join us. We're in a very, very interesting in history and life to watch how society is going to move forward with getting back out there. 
just like artificial intelligence, we're slowly watching our world around us evolve into IoT devices from home appliances to our cars. Even old school bikes now are turning electronic. So today, we're going to talk about something super interesting. We're going to talk about the human API and what that is and what risk comes with the uh, future of the world. And before I turn it over to our first guest, um, I encourage our, our only guest, not our first guest, I encourage our audience out there, please chime in today. We'd love to hear from you. I already see uh, Marcus Jemenzen. He said, hi, Rachel, our guest. Thanks for joining the show. So today, all the way from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I have Rachel Arnold. Welcome to the show. She's from Secure Nation. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, thanks so much. It's very nice to be able to finally uh, circle up with you, Kim. I know. <laughs> Rachel and I have been trying to connect on this show for a couple of months. I had a problem and then she, how is everything going in Baton Rouge? Are you guys uh, back to normal? So I was checking in on a few friends that live in kind of the more Southern, I mean, we're already pretty much South Louisiana here in Baton Rouge, but um, a little further South in some of the Southern parishes uh, for anybody else, those are counties by the way, um, they're still doing a load of cleanup and there's still power outages widespread and connectivity issues and everything else. So keeping an eye on my friends in the, in the deeper parts of the South than I am. But um, here at home, um, we've got our connectivity back and up and running. That was kind of our issue uh, with our first try at doing this <laughs> podcast together. Um, and it's, it's getting a little bit better every day. There's huge trucks that come by for cleanup and it's, there's still a lot of people that are in a mess. Oh, you, this, you guys have just, it's, the world has taken a toll on you guys down in the South. So we definitely wish you the best wishes and, um, yeah, yeah it's, Thank and ho you. hopefully we're out of, I don't know if we're out of the season quite yet. Uh, uh hurricane season goes all the way to November for us. Um, and you know what, it's, it's taught me a lot living here in South Louisiana, especially, um, recovery time after hurricanes, like the, the re most recent one that hit us, Hurricane Ida, just how important it is to be connected to the people around you, um, and to network really, and not just in a regular, you know, cybersecurity information technology sort of networking way, but as, as people. Right. I agree. Just like what I was saying earlier, I, it, it's just having that connection with people, just being at an event this week and just having human interaction as it's so missed. And, and it really is, um, it, although you're talking about, you know, your neighborhoods and your communities, but yeah. just again, even it's in our right. space. The, yeah. Um, so I know, I don't know a lot about Secure Nation and I was fascinated. I've seen you out there on social media and I, that's why I was trying to get you on the show. So tell us a little bit about that and what you do, what Secure Nation is and what your message is there. Yeah. So the, the company that I work for is Secure Nation. They are a small uh, cybersecurity products and services reseller. We are headquartered here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but we work coast to coast with a very select uh, special group of clients who I, hello, if anybody is lurking on the channel, because I sent, I sent the invite out to a few friends. Uh, we do it a little bit differently just because we are, um, you know, vendor agnostic completely. We don't do any of the services in-house. 
So it gives us the agility and flexibility that a lot of teams really appreciate about working with us. Um, on the side of that, um, I guess I took my role and, and poured a lot of passion into it. So really my position is to just be aware and available whenever anything is needed, resources, platforms, services, questions answered, all of those kinds of things. And for me to be valuable to the, the teams and the community that I serve, it's very important for me to be um, engaging constantly in the community and having those conversations that others may not be able to take the time to have um, and keeping up with what sort of um, indicators of compromise may be out around different breaches, what sort of, um, you know, tech stack strategies might be something a team could possibly utilize in their environment as well. So that's kind of uh, how the human API situation got started, I guess. <laughs> and, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, but now tell me about you do some of your own um, stuff on LinkedIn Live and you have, a, is it a podcast? Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I have a, a little live stream called the Coffee Table Talks. Um, we actually did one this morning, just a little while ago. So if, uh, I mean, right, it's the same outfit. So if you guys haven't already seen enough <laughs> of you today, right, here's some more. Um, we, how did that start? That started a little over a year ago and it was really a, an answer to the COVID environment right? Not doing the live events, like you mentioned. Um, I had just really gotten started attending live conferences on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden it was shut down. Couldn't go anymore. And there were so many valuable conversations that happened. Um, what do they call that? Like hallway con or whatever. They, mm -hmm. they all, like just kind of waiting out in the hallway for the next talk or speaker, or you run into people or there's you know, collections of folks just standing around and it doesn't matter what their role is or who their company is or anything like that. They're just really collaborating and sharing ideas and um, and swapping stories with one another about um, different cybersecurity uh, focused things from, um, you know, hiring to empowering teams to trying to get the attention of boards or CEOs um, around security initiatives or, you know, just security awareness in general, anything, anything cybersecurity related. And I missed those conversations so much that I started sending out, you know, virtual coffee invites on a one-on-one -on -one basis to different folks um, via different social media channels. Some of those stories were so just awesome. I was like, more people have got to be able to appreciate this. <laughs> I need to bring this to more people so they can enjoy these conversations and ask questions from these fabulous people too. Um, I came across the, the first one that really super inspired me to, to do something live was uh, Rich Owen. He was um, the CISO for a cable company at the time and was getting ready to retire. And the next question I asked him was, tell me about your career. He was the first CISO I'd come across that was actually going to retire from the role completely. And um, after, you know, some 40 odd year career in cybersecurity, and I had no idea what even 40 years ago cybersecurity really looked like. And then he started telling me about, um, you know, well, this one time in Vietnam, <laughs> I was like, wow, how, how did cybersecurity relate 
to Vietnam, you know, and, and started learning about radio intelligence and signal intelligence and all these other things. And I was like, I was just so riveted by the whole thing. And then um, he's actually the reason why I bought this NASA shirt. Uh, <laughs> he um, came home after Vietnam and was contracted by NASA to set up some of their um, security and protocols and some of their very first networks and landing sites. And I was like, oh, do tell more, you know? So that kind of started it. That was the first couple of episodes of, uh, of me trying to podcast or live stream, one or the other. Um, and regular uh, audience members for that stream, they, they hear me say it often, the production value may not be great, but the conversation is going to be awesome. That's all I got. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And, you know, it it does go back to like when I when I opened up and I was just talking about we were a small crowd in Kansas City and I was a little worried my sponsors were going to be mad. And they're like, we are not mad. We are happy we're here and you didn't cancel and you didn't go back to virtual. And just the conversations that we have, like, like I was just sitting at the registration desk where people were checking in and this woman who was a IT director and she was dropping off she was dropping something off and you know I'm former navy she was former navy she retired in the navy when I was in the navy women weren't on aircraft carriers she started in the navy around me but but crossed over when she ended up being on the Kitty Hawk and you know watched and it was just interesting we sat there and talked for 20 minutes and I I would never have that conversation in these vir right. these virtual world, you know. So that's what we are missing is the human connection. And I don't know what's going to happen. I've been doing these kind of events for 25 years. And um, a lot of IT professionals, don't get mad at me out there, um, are very introverted. And it mm -hmm. might be easier. Not everyone, but I have been watching IT audiences for a long time. And, you know, maybe it is easier. Maybe they are more comfortable. Before you didn't have a choice, you still had to get your CPE credit out or you still had to go to events. So I, it'll be interesting to see how the future plays out because I imagine all events will have to have a hybrid component yeah. to it. No, we just got back from um, a hacker conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan last week. As a matter of fact, how was, was that? Yeah. How was it that? was magical? Uh, <laughs> I bet <laughs> to say the least, uh, to say the most. So it was my, my second time ever attending um, GERCON, uh, out, like I said, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, just as wonderful the second time as it was the first time. Attendance was a little lower because there were a lot of concerns around, you know, COVID and, and things like that. And they definitely um, encouraged mask wearing, uh, probably used a, a few colorful ways to make that happen for folks. Uh, if you were there, you know what I mean. So it's okay. But um, <laughs> most of us wore masks most of the time. Um, there was a lot of hand sanitizer available, tons of that. And, uh, my husband uh, went with me as well. He's also in the uh, information security industry as a SOC analyst for a, a larger global type company. He's more in the trenches kind of guy. Um, and we had a wonderful time. The, the topics uh, for the talks were amazing. The people were amazing. They had a car hacking village there that I, if, if some, uh, if, Y'all haven't heard yet. I had my elbows all the way up to my elbows in grease and dirt and grime. Well, that's um, cool. What was that? What you, they had a car. What were you doing? Just what was that? Oh, about? just I call it research. Uh, <laughs> so, 
So there are way smarter people than me uh, at, at those sorts of villages that do more of the, um, you know, the back end trying to find the, the end to the, to the app or, um, you know, dismantling the APK, one or the other, right? Whatever it is that they do that's way smarter than me. I am more of a physical brute force entry kind of girl. So the, the first GERCON I went to, um, a friend of mine, Chris Roberts, and I, um, along with, a, again, a collection of smarter than me, uh, were already into the technical pieces of opening up a Tesla Model 3 that they had made available for hacking with different flags and things. And the last flag was to infiltrate the glove box, which if you've ever sat inside of a Tesla, there are no outward, um, outwardly visible hinges for the glove box. There's no uh, mechanism on the outside for locking or anything. And the vehicle was in uh, valet mode, which makes it impossible to open the, the glove box, or at least that's what it's supposed to do. I was able to, to help them figure out how to get into it after they were pretty frustrated and walked away to go grab a beer. And anyway, it was the last piece of the puzzle for them. Um, and I was happy to help them do it. Uh, it really just showcased why it is that diversity is so important in cybersecurity in our field as um, you need different ways of thinking about doing something from all angles and be able to collaborate on that and to be able to get a wide variety of opinions and perspectives you gotta entertain a wide variety of perspectives <laughs> i agree i absolutely agree you know interesting you say that because our keynote speaker in kansas city um he's a cyber he was a cybersecurity he is a cybersecurity analyst and he he happens to be from fox news but nothing was political it was he was there to you know his topic was great he was not there there was no political regimen at all and a few people said well since he's from fox news we're not going to come and i'm like well you really missed out because that had nothing mm -hmm. to do with politics and that is being open-minded you know and yeah. we are all here on the same team and cybersecurity. So, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the human API. I, as everybody knows, or maybe not everybody knows this, um, voice America, not only are we on LinkedIn live, we have a whole other, um, listeners on voice America and this show is called and security for all. And some people don't know some of these, what some of these terms mean. So can you break down what human API is and just kind of give us a definition that um, just to educate our listeners. Yeah, sure. So an API is an application protocol interface. It's the way that your applications um, connect into each other and are able to communicate easily. That's the, that's the highest level quick explanation that I can give to you. So the premise of a human API is that that's kind of what I do. Um, I am the human version of a technical API. So I also connect all the things <laughs> in the background and help them work together and collaborate smoothly. Um, so I'm kind of the interface for that. And I had somebody else mention it and I was like, you know what, I'm running with it. And it just kind of stuck. So there it is. That's how I got to be a human API. And I'm not the only, right? Like there's, there's other people that are very good at being um, human APIs. So just think about the folks that you reach out to for um, any sort of resources or um, the people that just seem to know everybody. You're like, I have a question. 
And they're like, don't worry, I have a person for that. <laughs> like, those are human APIs too. So, so how did you get, what was that journey like? Where, what was your, you know, education and how, like, I've never met, I've never met, that's why I was so intrigued by you on LinkedIn. It has your name and then uh, the human API. And I'm like, I, I got to talk to this girl and find out what this is about. So, Yeah, sure. Um, I was just real chatty as a kid and mom kicked me out the front door a whole lot and said, go make friends. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> mostly how that happened. Um, so some of my background is that I was actually an extremely introverted child, by the way, hence the mom having. Sorry. To yeah. Yeah. Sorry that I, I mentioned introver introverted people. I didn't mean to offend you or you anyone. Didn't. Not okay. even a little bit. It's okay. totally fine. My husband is um, is definitely the yin to my yang. He's the he's the extreme introverted at this point. He can only take so much. And he's like, whoop, tapped out. I got to go someplace quiet. Nobody there. Can we do that now? And I'm like, yes, we can do that. Um, so I was very introverted as a kid, extremely. I didn't speak very often. I um, kept to myself a lot. I was also felt very odd uh, just because I wasn't interested in the same things that everybody else was interested in. I grew up in a very small community in Indiana. Um, nobody, I don't know, I, I was definitely the nerd girl. <laughs> 100% I was interested in how things worked and why they did that and um, wanted to take them apart and put them back together that I mean, I, I feel like that's a pretty, um, pretty regular story amongst InfoSec folks. Um, whenever I was uh, getting ready to, to graduate from high school and, and try to find my way in the world, I had no idea what I was going to do. None whatsoever. I had no clue. Uh, I knew what my high school teachers did. So maybe I could do that. Right. Um, I probably am the latest bloomer I ever know. Uh, I didn't get into InfoSec until I was well in my mid thirties. And it, at that point it was a career change. It was completely in the other direction. I started out, um, waiting tables, uh, managed restaurants, managed bar, managed, um, in grocery stores. Um, I also, was really good at customer service. I liked people. I still like people. Um, I forced myself to take my my first public speaking class in college and promptly broke out into hives and even threw up a little. Um, <laughs> that was challenging, <laughs> uh, especially whenever, like when I say break out into hives, I mean like the big splotches, like wow. the kind Benadryl can't fix, right? Like where yeah. an eyeball is getting ready to close shut. Like it was really bad. Um, but I, I worked through all of those challenges that I had personally and learned how to connect and communicate better, I guess. Uh, it was really just a, a passion and wanting to know and really enjoying listening to other people's stories, um, whatever they were. And it was something that I learned from, I mean, just being a little kid, listening to my grandmother tell stories. Everybody else was like, you're just why are you wanting to listen to these stories over and over again? And I just found them riveting. I was just so interested in everything it was that she had to say. And then I found similar interest in listening to other people tell their stories as well. So I worked for a, um, a, a chemical company for a little while as a kind of salesperson slash account manager. Uh, it was a little different. We worked on commercial dishwashers as well as uh, commercial size laundries. Uh, so I learned a lot of mechanical things through that role. Um, 
the opportunity came about for me to change directions and I grabbed on with both hands and said, sure, let's do that. I want to do that. I want to help people in this industry. Um, my husband being a part of the industry already was a big key factor in that. He had been approached by marketing and salespeople um, in a way that was never helpful for him at all. And with him being so introverted, uh, I could understand why that that was, you know, off-putting. But I knew that those people had things and tools and resources that would be ultimately very helpful for him and his team and what it was that they were doing. Um, so I just, I had to jump in with both feet, don't even care, deep end, here we come. Uh, dusted off some of my social media profiles, started reaching out to folks one by one and driving some conversations there. I, I guess as I talked to more and more people, they could see that I wasn't just full of it. Um, I was a genuine real person that really actually wanted to help. Uh, and that kind of took off. So I was able to, to help my company in that way as well. So what does a day in the life of Rachel Arnold, the human API look like when you go to work every day? So I'm also the mom of uh, three small children. I have uh, a four and five and six year old. So they're like stair stepping, right? You may actually inadvertently hear one of them come screaming through here in a little bit. Um, but my day starts before dawn. So get up, uh, right? You got to do the mom stuff and then end up right away on the way to taking them to school or anything else. I'm ingesting any sort of cybersecurity news, other podcasts, like listening in there. My kids know who David Spark is kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, they're like, it's Mr. David. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's true um it's integrated so much in my life there's not really a clock in or a clock out it starts when i get up and it ends when i go to sleep and even then i'm probably dreaming about it a little bit and in, in some weird ways um hopefully nothing too scary nothing that wakes me up anyway but uh yeah i mean it's it's constant communication with the community and the teams that i assist specifically i keep in touch with them very regularly and uh, just to make sure that there's not anything that they may need or um, any news that they are interested in knowing about or anything else. So I'm trying to dig a little deep here. So um, when you talk about different topics like ransomware and, you know, just cybersecurity in general, what, so you're saying that you're the resource for your teams when they have questions, they come to Rachel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If there's not something that they can't already find through their own tooling or systems or access to different indicators of compromise or any notes that may come out of anywhere. Yeah, they'll definitely ask. Um, they really like to utilize me for some of that underground knowledge that comes um, comes from just talking to a lot of folks and understanding um, client environments and partnerships that are already in place. When it comes to different vendors, they'll ask me opinions about what I think about vendor, you know, X, Y, Z. And I just happen to know their client list and I'm able to tell them the real, the real deal on it. You know, the real uh, non-paid for opinion that's not sponsored 
from the customer that may not be treated amazingly all the time. Um, we have a, a good grip on what sort of price points are offered across the nation from one company size to the next. We work very closely with our partners on making sure that their services or platforms or licenses are affordable for the teams that they hope to help. Um, we partner with anybody and everybody kind of thing. So a lot of other resellers stick to um, a certain collection of say an endpoint security type provider uh, where we're also agile enough to entertain anybody's new up and coming type technology. So it's, uh, it can be really in the weeds some days. Um, and that's just something I don't think a lot of security teams have the time to do for themselves, but is really important that they understand how a possible future partnership they might be exploring, how that's affecting clients that are currently partnered with that vendor or service provider. So I'm a huge Google reviews person. Anything I do, I go to Google reviews, you know, just, and, and it sounds like you're almost like the Google reviews of cybersecurity when it comes yeah. to partners. So it kinda, yeah, it's kind of similar like that. Yeah, definitely. Except for you're not going to find anything I've got to know written down anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> so do you, so secure nation, is that actually your title, your title you carry? Though the human API, yeah. my my official Secure Nation title is Client Relationships, okay. which I think is all encompassing. They allowed me to pick my own title. They said, you pick it, that's fine, we'll run with it. And once I got really into what it was that I was doing for our clients and um, for our, our vendor partners, I was like, that's what I'm doing. Ms. I'm helping facilitate these relationships between the clients and the vendors themselves so that everybody is always aware of where the other person stands in the relationship. Um, it, I do a lot of communication back and forth that, you know, CISOs don't necessarily have to do. Uh, I've had a CISO come to me before and say, um, Rachel, I'd like to see teams that you vetted out that can do a, a, um, an attack simulated style engagement for our company. We want to know where our vulnerabilities are and we want to have a really awesome team do it. And this is our price point. Um, within 72 hours, I had nine teams, some top tier teams, really seriously impressive folks lined up to speak with the CISO and um, go through kind of scoping what that engagement is going to look like. So it's, it's that kind of agility, speed, um, I guess, customer client service oriented uh, service that we offer that a lot of our clients really enjoy. So you're, are you connecting? I, I imagine you are connecting with everyone all over the country and the world, but how are you, um, you know, if everybody's out West in Silicon Valley or uh, up on the East coast, how are you educating yourself? Cause there's a lot out there. I mean, I deal with the vendors. There's, there's so many and there's new ones born every day. So how can you keep up with the rapid growth of this industry? Shoo. It's hard. <laughs> it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So, um, part of that, what, what's a day in the life of, of Rachel Arnold, the, the client relationship specialist look like is right now, 
at this very moment that you and I are are discussing back and forth, I have 11 different messaging platforms open um, from Discord to Signal to Clubhouse to Slack, um, LinkedIn channels, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and what is the other one? Oh, YouTube. <laughs> Um, I definitely follow some uh, some hashes very closely across the internet and make sure that I am constantly aware of anything and everything that mentions a couple of key terms, um, especially as it applies to the conversations and the teams that I'm having currently. So I try to focus on those things very closely. So I was just actually talking to my uh, marketing director today about hashtags. So um, hashtags are so overwhelming, you know, it's yeah. like, so yeah. I get it. Like when I'm with my 22 year old daughter and she's on Instagram and, you know, we're on vacation and she'll hashtag where we are to see who's there. I get that. I can comprehend that, but I still can't comprehend, you know, when you're doing a hashtag on, you know, um, ransomware or, you know, just say ransomware, for instance. Yeah. I mean, you're probably pulling up how much information on that and, and how are you even narrowing down what you're going, what content you're going to read? So it just depends on what it is that you're looking for. And um, that's something that came the, the way that I follow up on certain topics and information or search for things is definitely, um, it's one of those things that you get better at as you do it more <laughs> kind of thing. Because um, you'll start out searching for something. You're like, well, these aren't any of the results I was hoping to find, right? And then you also want to make sure that any results that you're pulling back are, are unbiased, right? Or non, um, there's nothing worse than getting to the end of uh, some sort of a, a resource or learning piece of content or anything else and then going wow that whole thing was just a marketing ploy yeah that's frustrating yeah because <laughs> then, then you're not sure if you can trust the information that you're getting mm -hmm. so i follow a lot of uh of the government things as well as some of the the dot orgs that are out there um university papers research those kind of things there's also a lot of really great folks that i have met across you know my time just so far that I will reach out to on occasion for, um, for different questions and things like that. But um, that's part of being the API, right? Is connecting the questions and getting, getting the best answer. And that is, that is really tough. You know, I just started this show at the beginning of the year and I was not looking to be a talk show host. They came to me and it, it, it you know, I'm always, trying. I'm a person. I was in the Navy. You know, I went in the SWAT team just to see if I could do it. I'm always kind of that person. Let me take the challenge and see if I could do it. It was a little in over my head when I first started because public speaking, I, I speak at my events, but to host a show is a little hard. So I would start doing a lot of research when my guests came on. I don't do as much now because I try to learn from my guests that are on the show. So that that is better research for me than doing the research myself. But I, I see what you're saying. You know, I would research whatever topic it was going to be and I'd have this great, all this great content. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, why didn't I notice that was just a sponsor trying to sell their product or it was just, yeah. you know, we don't even know if it's real information. So there's so much information out there. And um, how do you sort for that? How, how do you, you know, going back to misinformation and disinformation, because there's so much in, 
out there. How do you keep yourself in a line with not being misinformed or disinformed? You know, I always try to keep an open mind. That's the first thing. Um, I do, because I do appreciate the work and effort that a lot of our vendor partners put into the research, because they do, they put a lot of research into what it is that they do. Um, it just depends on the subject, really. If there's going to be something that, you know, you want to find the best, the best XYZ, don't trust the vendor paper, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, take it into account, but I wouldn't base my whole decision off of one, you know, vendor resource that I came across. But if it's going to be something like, um, uh, what was it that I think it was either, I think it was Recorded Future that did it a couple of years ago, where it was a study into um, what sort of information Twitter was scraping off of um, the LGBTQ community on geolocation and how that was being utilized. I mean, there's no reason for them to lie about it. You know what I mean? They're not going to, they just really wanted to help the community understand what was happening to them. So it's, it's at your discretion, piece by piece kind of thing. And it's something that as you pour through research and look over papers and do all of the reading and listen to all the things and watch all the TED Talks and everything else that there is available, you start to, you start to see it. You're like, okay, what will they benefit from from sharing this data with me? What is it that they're trying to get out of me wanting to find this information? And it's being able to think like that, that helps really vet out the information and, um, and the resources that are available out there to bring in. Uh, I'll spend a lot of time going through, uh, if I come across, my, say, somebody that's hosting a piece of content that I don't know a lot about, I will spend a lot of time resourcing who owns that domain. Why do they own this domain? How long have they owned it? Why, you know, what other sorts of uh, uh, content do they put out there? Is it, does it seem like it's driven by some agenda that's not going to match what we're looking for kind of thing. So it's, it's hard to sort out the disinformation, but the one thing I do know is you should never trust anything off of a social media feed. <laughs> That's the first one. Yeah, agreed. And how do you, now you have all these platforms open right now, which in your opinion, um, First of all, that's a lot. I don't know how you can, I don't know, I, you know, again, you know, thank God for my marketing director. Cause she, I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with it all. I don't even, um, I, do you know, James is from, uh, if you don't, you should know him. He, he does cyber hub out of Atlanta. He has a great, he's got some great guests you'd be interested yes. in. And, um, he invited me, I think somebody invited me to clubhouse and I, I couldn't even figure out clubhouse. So I was like, uh, I I'm done, but clubhouse do you think is a lot, it's a lot, there's a lot yeah. of noise. <laughs> yeah. I can't even that, that I tried and I couldn't understand that, but in our industry, do you think that there is one platform, which platform do you think is the most prevalent for the secure it security professionals and practitioners? GitHub. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I don't even know that one. <laughs> get, um, get up. Heather, she's listening. Write that down. <laughs> yep. G-I-T-H-U-B. GitHub. 
that's going to be a big one. Um, that's more like research and code development and stuff oh, like that. Okay. But a lot of other people are utilizing it in more creative ways. Um, I really think a lot of, I have found a lot of community um, through Discord channels. A lot. A whole bunch. Uh, the conferences will all have their own uh, Discord channel usually. Um, let's see, Wild Wild West Hacking Fest is one that's got their own Discord channel. Um, my co-host for the Coffee Table Talks is actually the um, one of the, the key founders of the IT Center of Excellence for Pima Community College. They also have a Discord channel for their students. Uh, they welcome um, currently, you know, in the industry working professionals as well, just to give those professionals um, the, the opportunity to possibly mentor some of those incoming professionals. Uh, that's, that's a huge other place for, for, uh, for IT. Uh, Slack was, was pretty big, still is, uh, was a little bit bigger though, probably about two years ago. Um, I mean, I find I have found an awful lot of friends on LinkedIn a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, LinkedIn for me, I'm old school. So and I've been in the industry for a long time. So it's, you know, I have connections from 25 years ago, you know, that are still still, you know, it, it's interesting to watch all the people move, grow in their career and where they are now. And um yeah, at Discord, that's funny because my my younger daughter who's 17, she um is on Discord and and her brother who's older is like, "Discord, he's 25. Why are you on Discord? That's like a gaming platform, you know. What are you doing?" So Discord, I guess, is just really kind of taking uh, evolved into something new. Yeah. So, um so um uh Jason McDaniel uh, said, welcome. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Can you link some of the discords? Oh yeah, sure. Um, Jason, if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, just drop me a note and, uh, I'll be more than happy. I've, I've got a list. <laughs> There's a bunch. Let me open up my discord real quick. Let's see. We wild West hacking fest, um, PCC super users, uh, Kev Tech IT support, that's a good one. Trusted Sec Discord is also full of lots of stuff. We Open Tech is wonderful and diverse and very inclusive. Um, I'm also in another one that's Evolutionary Skills Development Network, uh, focused around finding veterans' roles and resources as they continue on their journey breaking into cybersecurity. Um, uh, the Security Weekly one is also a good one. Uh, stu different study group. I mean, all kinds of things. Uh, it is nuts the amount of people you. That's can awesome. If you it. if you could um, copy and paste some of those, we'll we'll put those yeah. in the social post with this recording when we finish. You know, when we finish the show, because this is just stuff I, I, I'm totally interested in and had no idea. You know, again, you're you know, as as the younger generation is moving up, more you know, more changes all the time it's impossible to keep up with everything but um i'm always looking for you know great speakers and interesting people so i would definitely be interested in looking at some of those groups on discord as well um so it seems like almost every company you know, when you know, I deal with a lot of the CISOs and a lot of the IT directors and the poor CISOs, it, it's just impossible. I mean, they're being bombarded daily with hundreds of emails of, 
you know, sponsors trying to get appointments with them. Um, it seems like everybody, it, it, it would be ideal for every company to have a human API, you know, as a resource, <laughs> because the people under them really can't do it because they're so swamped with just protecting the networks. So do you see a future of, of you know, this happening where there's going to be different roles like that? Of, I, I'm sure there are, but they're probably just not called a human API. Yeah. Yeah. Usually they're, um, you know, some sort of, um, what are some, it'd be like a project man, like, a it technical project managers. Um, what's another couple of them that I've seen before? Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Kim, you caught me off guard. <laughs> well, no, I guess that's why I came up with the, the human API piece. I was like, you know, that's pretty accurate. That's what we do is, is we connect all the people to all the things. Um, I don't know, but usually it's, it's a project manager role of some sort with a, like a, a CISA or CISM attached or a CISSP kind of certification. Um, I don't know. I think that's awesome. I think you should, you should revolutionize that and take that across America and be the founder of (laughs) every company having a human API as a position, you know, but of course it'd have to be the right person. But it, 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 you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, even our events, we, we do so many events. There's so much information that people take away and, you know, it's, it's how do you, how do you retain all that information and, you know, remember it when there's so much out there. It's, it's a lot and you got to keep check on it. And the most important, I mean, the only reason why I do anything productive for anybody that I help is because of the network of people that I'm banded with and because of um, the folks in the community that are supportive of what it is that I'm trying to do. Um, But, you know, that's a two-way street too. I'm very supportive of, of their activities and what it is that they're trying to do as well. There's several groups out there that offer um, so many wonderful things and resources and training opportunities. Um, that's part of the reason why, um, as soon as my local ISACA chapter asked if I wanted to be, um, a part of their group, I was like, yes, of course. Yes, of course I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's, I, I do an awful lot of giving back, uh, and I don't think I could ever make up the distance for how much of me, but man, I'm going to try. Well, and that that really, you know, we have a lot of um, students and young people, and we talk about this a lot, how to break into cyber, and that is, you know, being connected with those nonprofits, with ISACA, going to, you know, events, you know, not just mine, any events out there, you know, connecting with people, you know, opening doors for yourself. And there was um, a lady, we, we typically... You know, we kind of have some rules and reg- regulations on who can come to our events. But this one lady was just wanted to get into cybersecurity. So I let her come and she talked to people all day, had no clue about cybersecurity. And I, I was like, wow, she stayed from eight o'clock until five o'clock. And all day I watched her. I was very interested in you have no idea about cybersecurity. You came from selling, you know, furniture and now you want to get into this industry. And I watched her in engaging conversations, you know, all day. So um, 
that's awesome that you probably like you, you know, it's, it's some people, it is hard. It's hard. You know, I'm very quick. I'm fast. You know, I'm, I'm multitasking. Sometimes it's hard to have lengthy conversations. So the ones I have, like, that's why I love the show because the world stops around me and I can sit here and have an hour long conversation with great guests like yourself. So I don't know how you do it though, with having small kids and still, you know, you know, collecting all this information that you're collecting. I take it in and any form that it comes. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of friends that don't work in, in BOSEC. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I yeah, I agree. Many, many at all. I do have like, you know, a, a collection of folks that live very close to me. Um, we host uh, tabletop nights here at our house. Well, we did more often right before COVID. Uh, but we're also acknowledging that, you know, we may be bringing cooties to our friends and they may be bringing cooties to us. Uh, and with small kids, that's really, whoo, that's scary. Yeah. But, uh we, we do um, like D&D style game night here uh, with a collection of friends. It's always fun, very engaging. Uh, we're like, we're the nerdiest people that I know. Um, I've even had other, I was uh, one of my, my clients that told me the other day that I was probably nerdier than he was. And I was <laughs> that's funny you mentioned that while I'm sitting here eating a Pokemon Oreo. Oh my uh, gosh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're pretty nerdy around my house. Uh, if you can't tell, there's actually, my husband had this piece commissioned. It's our family portrait and it's done in a Pokemon style. Animation. That's funny. That's okay. funny. Like, and this, uh, this is my very first Coffee Table Talks logo. If you can see it right here, it's framed by a friend of mine that I volunteer with at the Innocent Lives Foundation. Um, her name is Cytisis Eurydice. She is a wonderful artist, uh, right next to my Viking buckler, um, and princess Leia. <laughs> you, well, Rachel, you, you, yeah, you, uh, you fit the mold of the cybersecurity industry, right? <laughs> I got, I got, you know, and it was that way before I got here and it's going to be that way after I'm gone. So <laughs> Well, I think it's fun. And I think that you uh, just just titling, you know, where did the original human API did a little research before we talked and I, you know, there was somebody that actually came up with that name, the human API. Yeah, I have no idea. I googled it. Maybe Google wasn't right. And I didn't write it down. But you should Google it. It said that there was a founder that came up with the name, the human API. Yeah, find them. Let's go find them. Oh, yeah. now I'm excited. Oh, we only have like three minutes and then people are going to start yelling at us. I know. I know. Well, it's if you Google, just Google human API and it'll, you know how Google says, what is human API? And then it says, who founded human API? And it has a man's name. I thought you would know that was going to be one of my questions I was going to ask you today. <laughs> so. You were oh, look at you. Oh, they did it after me. Oh, they did it after you. So they copied you. (laughs) They did. I'm glad. You know what? If I have somehow influenced a group of people to do this, this is kind of cool. I am okay with this. Look at this. Live on the Kim. 
uh, and Security for All show. All right. Well, there you, you awesome. should have. Maybe you should have patented the human API. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Look at that. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So when I when I saw that, I was like, oh, so this has been around for a while, and I guess that yeah. Because oh, they're no different idea. than me. They're in healthcare company empowering consumers to connect and share electronic health data with companies they trust. Oh, that's a bad idea, guys. Somebody needs to. Well, <laughs> and that is your classic case of a little bit of misinformation because when I Googled that, it just, it looked like human API was a healthcare, that it was a healthcare concept. It is. It is a healthcare concept. Launches health intelligence platform. This is horrible. Somebody stop them. Well, that's what I'm saying. It makes human API look like that's the definition of it. So, it, uh, well, hey, go ahead, go right ahead. Everybody, I am so glad that that. I did not open up with the definition of human API because that's what I would have used. <laughs> yeah. No, so no. I was a little, I was a little nervous to uh, do that. I was like, I I'm gonna have Rachel explain what human API is because I'm not certain this is exactly right. So. Yeah. It's the handle. You can find me everywhere. If you type in the human API, you can find me in all sorts of fun places, whatever social media platform, discord, Slack channel, messaging, whatever. Um, that's the easiest way to find me. So before we close, cause we have about three minutes or two and a half minutes. Is there any like messages that you want to leave with our, our viewers of just maybe information as a whole and how to protect yourself of, or, or they can, they can find you and ask if their information is correct, but, but yeah. how to be safe out there. You know, I think the biggest thing that our whole industry needs to really grab a hold of is understanding how valuable you are to your community, even when it seems like they're not listening, they're all logged into the internet and in one way or another. And, completely unaware of how their digital safety is exactly like their physical safety and how the two things um, are not separate at all. If you wouldn't allow your child to walk out into the street without holding their hand, you shouldn't allow them onto the internet without also holding their hand and making sure that they're safe and that the content that they are ingesting is appropriate for their age group. They need somebody to help them look both ways before crossing any street, including a digital highway. Amen. 100%. Amen. Rachel Arnold, the human API. Thank you for joining our show today. If you want to find Rachel, you can find her on LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Enjoy this great fall weather. If you're in the Midwest or wherever you are, stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into and security for all. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? 
FutureCon events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.